You like the Just Baseball show and want to make your own? Let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never seen before. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and much more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Friday to uh, steal Big Cat's line, right? It's Friday, April 30th. How many days are there in April? 31, right? 30. Ah. Uh-uh. See, how does, how, is there a phonetic formula to understand? 30 days how- have September, April, no. It, yeah, April, <laughs> June, and November. I, I just screwed myself up. Doesn't uh, January? January definitely has 31. January has 31. Um, I'm Jack McMullen, that's Peter <laughs> Apple, and uh, this is the TikTok gambling show, right? And the TikTok Basically. show in general. That's where only, our steam is. The only problem with it being now a gambling show is, yeah, we've been really hot. Before today, we were 10-3 and 3 in our last 13. We went 3-0 and 0 yesterday, which you can find on TikTok, at Project the Plate. But today, we're 0-2 to start the day. The damn Phillies. Then the other one that I lost... Astros Mariners. The Astros got two hit today. Did you know that? By Yusei yeah. Kikuchi. They looked like hot garbage. Uh, enough of that stuff, though. Let's talk Chicago. Take me home. Take me to my hometown. Take me to some family. Great conversation with Matt Spiegel, who happens to be my uncle, is also uh, co-host of the Parkinson Spiegel Show, which is afternoons, 2 to 6 p.m. on 670 The Score, which is the premiere, the number one ratings just came out uh, last week. I think the number one sports talk station in Chicago, also the radio home of the Chicago Cubs. It was, it was a really informative 25 minutes. It was so good. And so quick. I mean, you could just tell that Matt's been doing this for years and years because not only were his takes so clean, but even the way he delivered all of the messages were so entertaining. Um, so it's a really, really fun interview. We talk White Sox. We talk Cubs. I ask him what's wrong with his last place Cubs. And is my gambling pick at the beginning of the year, Lucas Giolito, to win the Cy Young? That looks like trash right now. What's going on with Lucas Giolito? He gives us a ton of great insight. Just like a really fun interview. Answers right now. Let's go. Matt Spiegel. Co-host of the newly named Spiegel and Parkins. I think we're like a month in. Matt Spiegel, it's been, uh, what, it was a two-year, two-and-a-half, three-year layoff between Parkins and Spiegel on middays and then Spiegel and Parkins, or no, Spiegel and Parkins on middays, Parkins and Spiegel on afternoons. Right. got ousted. 
Yeah, this is a long wait between season one and season two. That cliffhanger at hmm. the end of season one was a doozy. I didn't even know it was a cliffhanger when it happened. That's how much of a doozy it was. Uh, but yeah, we're back and um, and really enjoying ourselves. Nice to be back together. And, and uh, you know, Danny... Danny gets annoyed by certain smart baseball things. You guys will appreciate this. We had Eno Saris on yesterday, and I loved it. I think Eno's brilliant. And I could tell by the end, Danny was not enjoying himself. And we hung up and I said, Danny, you hated that, didn't you? You, you hated that. And he said, yeah, yeah, I kind of did. And I said, all right, well, is there another thought experiment on the NFL draft you'd like to do? Um, and then we did one of those a little bit later. So, you know, you, you play to each other's strengths on the show. Eno Saris, uh, craft beer connoisseur, Eno Saris. We're talking to Matt Spiegel, who's a host of 670 The Score. Also, uh, a new play-by-play voice in Major League Baseball's regular season. You had done an inning of a Cubs spring training game this past Sunday. You do an inning of uh, Cubs Braves, and you kicked ass, man. How did that feel to achieve a childhood dream? Yeah, you know, uh, I'm 50, so certain <laughs> certain things like that are not, you know, we're, we're not really in in the headspace as even being plausible five years ago. But then a couple of years ago, I did 13 pre and posts for the Cubs. They went 12 and three while I did pre and post. I take personal responsibility for that. Um, and I kept badgering and saying, can I do an inning? Can I do an inning? Can I do an inning? And, and this year I got the chance. And it, it was a thrill. It was a very boring inning. Nico Horner with a well-earned walk was my offensive highlight. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, Jack, it's, um, it, it's, it's a thrill. And, you know, it, it actually kind of fits with some of the rest of my life um, because the game is the star. So just show up and be an able and enjoyable vessel for the game and don't get in the way. And that, uh, that, 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 that works for me. That, that thought process works for me. So I enjoyed myself. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for coming on. But I have to ask you about your last place Cubs, unfortunately. Um, so m- my thing is, where do the Cubs go from here? Because I don't think there is an established powerhouse in the NL Central at this point. The Cardinals are pretty good. The Brewers have good pitching. But, and the Reds have some good pitching, but there isn't an established powerhouse. Would you advise, are the Cubs supposed to maybe blow it up, give up guys like Baez, Rizzo, Bryant, or would you try and keep them and really try and add at the deadline? I think they're going to hold on. I think what they will, there's what they will do and what I think they should do. What they will do, I think, is try and hold on as long as possible and see if this really is one of those seasons where they can thread the needle and that's maintain competitiveness in a crappy division, as you say, and add a piece or two that also might have long-term utility um, while also jettisoning, you know, one or even two of, uh, of the potential free agents to be, but all the while maintaining what they'd like to maintain, which is the air of competitiveness, the, the appearance of competitiveness, if you will. Um, and I think, I think that that's kind of important to them. I mean, that's, that's what Tom Ricketts has said publicly for a lot of years. Now, these days when things are so transparent and it's easy to see through things, it gets more difficult. And when you've lost Theo Epstein, who was maybe the greatest articulator of the transparent um, that there has ever been in the game, frankly, it gets, uh, it gets even more difficult. But 
it's hard for me to imagine. And right now, this moment is not ugly enough to lead to full on backslide. Like let's go ahead and accept last place and just embrace this breath we're taking in the middle of a window and let ourselves be terrible. This is not ugly enough. It's still early and the division is mediocre enough to lead me to think they're not gonna do that at least until middle of June. So, you know, we've, we've got some ways to go to see if they can right the ship. There's a lot of work to be done. I don't know if they can, but they'll give it a shot. There's a lot of work to be done. You use the word window and that got my brain working because as a Chicagoan, there are a lot of Cubs fans in 2021 that view this window as missed. It wasn't missed. They won in 2016. It it was mission accomplished. Um, Obviously a lot of people were hoping for more. This 2021 roster feels like it would be the best team in baseball in 2018, but it just feels a little bit outdated. And the three guys, Rizzo, Bryant, Baez, it's like a huge white head on your chin that nobody wants to talk about. All three of those guys could walk after the 2021 season. If you put yourself in Jed's position, um, they've made it clear that they want to keep Rizzo. That probably financially rules them out of Rizzo and Bryant. It would probably be Rizzo and Baez. Am I wrong in that thinking? Like, what would you be doing as Jed? Um, well, Bryant's, Bryant's excellence so far is is probably putting them out of that, of saving them both. Um, unless they decide to deal Contreras. Um, and because I, 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 the more I watch Javi, the more this goes on, the more stubborn or unable he is to adjust. Yep. Um, the more, I, the more I, I lose the value of his marketability, which has always been such a big strength for him. He's, he's, he's incredibly enjoyable and likable for the most part, but that's actually gone down quite a bit in this town this year. Mm-hmm. And just, there are so many viable options at shortstop uh, coming up here, as well as within the system, theoretically, Ed Howard down the path. I think they probably will try to do Bryant and Rizzo. I think they will, especially with this version of Bryant, the fact that Bryant has weathered the storm and emotionally and personally, publicly been able to handle everything he's been able to handle. Um, And having the two of them as your stalwarts, as you carry on, feels feels sensible in a lot of ways. It kind of feels like the Angels keeping Troy Glouse and Tim Salmon while they built it again, right? I mean, there's a lot of examples of those kinds of things so I guess I always thought it was going to be two I thought it was going to be Rizzo and Baez but this version of Baez even though he's on pace for 40 some homers and 110 RBIs um, the defense won't age well the speed won't age well and the reaching at all of those sliders out of the zone will not age well so I wouldn't invest much in that and they've got to be smart enough to see that just switching over to pitching, a pitcher that I'm a little bit concerned about, but not really just because it's a little bit early, but Kyle Hendricks has given up 32 hits, eight walks, 19 runs in 22 innings so far this year, bringing his ERA up to 7.54. This guy, I think, really needed to be an ace after the Cubs shipped you Darvish off to San Diego, and Hendricks is usually one of the best command guys in baseball, but he's walking guys at the highest rate of his career. And I'm, I just heard that there's a possibility that he's tipping pitches. 
What have you seen from Hendricks so far? And I guess, where's that concern level at? Is it too early? Am I reading too far in? No, this, this, this is concerning. This is a long stretch for Kyle. Kyle is usually one of those guys who's really, really good at adjusting from start to start and figuring out what a team is, is trying to do to him, especially when it's a team he's seen before. And he's had that now a, a couple of times. Usually what happens is like, if they're swinging like crazy, then he throws them the change up. So they chase at it. If they're not, then he sneaks fastballs by them and ends up with one of those 81 pitch complete games like he ended up with a couple of years ago. None of that is really working right now. It's got to be an execution. I don't think it's tipping because frankly, and Kyle and I have talked about this before. Kyle's one of those guys, even if you know what's coming, if he executes it well, he's got you. It, you know, point. that's just, that's just, that's just how he is. So he doesn't, he doesn't worry about that. So it, it's, it's execution right now for him and Zach Davies who are so similar and it's, it's, it's spot. So it's command. Like you said, it's like, if that, if Zach Davies sinker is sitting in the middle of the zone, as opposed to the bottom of the zone or just out, all of a sudden he's BP and that's what he's been. And if, if Hendricks change-ups are staying high, it's not like he's got the Giolito 96-mile-an-hour fastball to pair with the change-up to make it that much more powerful up high. He's got to be perfect with placement, and he's not right now. So he's got to mechanically figure out what that is. He's troubled. He said last night, everybody's barreling me up. I haven't looked at the barrel numbers. Uh, I know the hard-hit numbers are not pretty, um, and he certainly feels it out there. So – Look, I, 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 I bank on him to, to figure it out and adjust at some point. It's going to be hard to get the overall year numbers to look as good as he would like. But, I mean, dude's got, I think it's the fifth or fourth best ERA in baseball since the beginning of 2015, right? It's, it, I mean, like with, and it's all fireballers and him. So I'll bank on Hendricks to figure it out and adjust. I was playing this game with a couple of buddies via text. You know, Kyle Hendricks is top six in baseball among active ERA plus active pitchers. ERA Amazing. plus Kyle Hendricks is six. Crazy. Amazing. Um, he's, he's got the track record of adjusting and adjust, adjusting pitch mix too. the curveball has taken a jump in recent years. Maybe that's actually causing a problem this year. He'll figure it out. He'll figure it out. We can have some good news in this podcast too. Uh, Craig Kimbrell has been great news. And we were talking about him on a previous podcast episode. You know, this is a guy who was on the fast track to the Hall of Fame in Atlanta. And if his career ended today, or maybe if he puts together two or three more mediocre years, there the argument is still there that he is a Hall of Fame closer. Craig Kimbrell is having this career renaissance right now. What's going on with Craig Kimbrell in the month of April? Um, he is back to throwing his fastball where he needs to at the top of the zone. And mechanically, they had a fix last year, which looked like it was in jeopardy of being lost again in the spring. And then he found it again. So they, they, they figured something out very specific on his mechanics to give that fastball that ride, that carry, that absence of drop that makes him special when he spots it correctly. And he's throwing the knuckle curve for strikes. So, I mean, he's a two-pitch guy. He's always been a two-pitch guy. Velocity has to be there. 
But if he can throw the knuckle curve for strikes, then, you know, uh, good luck, everybody. And the confidence is flowing with him right now. See, there's an example of a potential for a thread the needle deal. If you can figure out somebody else you feel good about, and I don't know who that would be on this staff right now in the ninth inning. Rowan Wick, it just got transferred to the 60-day um, injured list. That's not good. Trevor McGill's an interesting arm. Uh, I'd be on the lookout for that, but it's super early. Dan Winkler doesn't throw that hard, but he's got serious ride on his fastball, which makes it difficult to hit. But if they had somebody else they could feel decent about in the ninth, then maybe you deal Kimbrell and get the opposite of the Glaber Torres trade that you did for Chapman, you know? So, but I don't know who that would be. And I see Jack shaking his head like he doesn't think that guy's on the roster. Well, Andrew Chafin looks like the third stepbrother. Will Farrell, John C. Riley, huh. and Andrew Chafin. <clears throat> I also have to I also do. have to ask, do you think Craig Kimbrell is a Hall of Famer? Not right now. Not right now, yeah. but if he if he keeps up the counting stats a little bit, I mean, uh, of the all-time leaders among relievers in strikeouts per nine, right? He's number two behind Aroldis Chapman, number yeah. two. And, and, and he and Aroldis might go back and forth this year for a little while. The only guys in the top 50 in saves that are also up there for Ks per nine are Billy Wagner and Francisco Rodriguez. So those, those four guys are your top whiff guys among the save leaders. That's impressive stuff. Billy Wagner, though, has a lot more of the counting stats than he's not in the Hall of Fame. So Kimbrell's got to get there um, and maintain some dominance uh, to get into the conversation. And a guy you mentioned earlier, a prospect for the Cubs that we're really excited about is Ed Howard. He's a young shortstop prospect drafted in the first round in 2019, and he's the hometown guy in Chicago. He made his first appearance as a member of the Jackie Robinson West Little League team in the 2014 Little League World Series, and you've also had him on your show. Can you speak to the kind of man Ed Howard is becoming both on and off the field? Uh, as far as I've heard about on the field, um, they're very happy and excited about him and he's super smooth, uh, defensively, obviously. And, and, and they're, they're trying to, they're trying to work with a little bit of a hitch in his swing to kind of simplify it. So we can't be gotten by the, the higher quality of pitchers as he climbs up the ladder. Um, as a person, I, you know, I've always enjoyed him. I I've talked to him a couple times, talked to Lou Collier, who's a big time South side, um, uh, baseball instructor, um, who thinks the world of, of Ed Howard and seems like an incredibly solid kid, but we'll have to see. He's still, he's still a ways away. Um, so we'll have to see what kind of what kind of development will really take place. The beauty of Matt Spiegel's gig, host of Parkinson Spiegel on the Score, which is the afternoon show, is that uh, he gets to watch both and he can sound off about both. We'll start with Tony Larusa on the White Sox side, and then we'll get to the excitement after that. Um, but there is one huge piece that just is not exciting at all, and it's um, you know the the seventy five plus year old that's that's in the dugout for the White Sox. Tony Larusa has come into an amazing roster and is trying to tweak things that don't necessarily need to be tweaked. Like, what are you seeing specifically through the first couple of weeks of the year? Well, you know, there's a couple of things. I give him some grace for not knowing some of the players, um, but because he's been away from the dugout for a while. So, but then once you learn that stuff, then, then I, I, I demand a certain level of, uh, of acuity. 
There's been some problems. There was a review moment where he didn't automatically review a play early on in the first week of the season. And it was their last chance to review in the bottom of the seventh. It should have been a no brainer review and he didn't know the rule. I'm convinced he did not know the rule. That's inexcusable. Those kind of things are inexcusable. Not knowing Nick Williams well enough and looking at him and saying, well, he's lanky and he's speedy. He's probably a good defensive outfielder. No, he's not. If you've been watching Phillies games, looking at the metrics or asking anybody who covers the Phillies, he's not a good defensive outfielder. Rick Hahn had to step up and designate him for assignment to keep Tony La Russa from using him. Um, so that's a problem. Now you're this far in and you know your guys. Now we've reached a moment where I can see your philosophical differences and your philosophical um, anachronisms, if you will. And when he says the other night that the reason he let Billy Hamilton and Leury Garcia hit, both representing the tying run in the eighth inning, while leaving power bats, fly ball bats, Andrew Vaughn and Zach Collins on the bench, that shows me that you don't understand how the game is played in this particular era. It has changed. He said that he was hunting singles. He was looking for singles with Billy Hamilton and Leori Garcia. And he said something about how you make an out seven times out of 10, you're still a 300 hitter. So he's quoting batting average and talking about hunting singles. And these days, guys, putting a few singles together to keep the line moving is the most difficult thing you can do in the game. I miss that era. I'm in favor of rules, some of them that are going to bring that kind of ball in play mentality and ability back. But where we are right now, bring up the fly ball power guys with a chance to tie the game. So that is a philosophical disagreement, which goes against not only the wisdom of modern baseball, but the theories of your general manager who built the roster, your general manager who drafted Andrew Vaughn third, and put him on your roster so you can use him. It's, those are two first-round picks with fly ball pop, and he's not going to use them because he's hunting singles. That is a specific moment where a difference in philosophy manifests on the field and could have cost them a game. That's also the same game where the difference in philosophy about what an ace is in Lucas Giolito gets in the way. And, and so, look, I'm on, uh, I'm on the look – uh, I'm on the prowl for moments where that philosophical difference actually might cost you a ball game. And that was one the other night. So I'm going to be loud when those moments present themselves. And, and this was a moment that, that deserved loudness the other night. I think it definitely deserved loudness, but switching over to, I guess, a more positive note, I think probably the highlight of the White Sox season so far, Carlos Rodon was the first pitcher to ever throw a no hitter within two years of having Tommy John surgery. What has it been like watching a guy work so hard, finally succeed at such an historic level, and then also have him deliver one of the best post-game interviews of the year so far? Um, super gratifying. I, I mean, I love, I, I mean, I'm in it. I'm in sports broadcasting, and I'm certainly in baseball broadcasting for human development. You know, mm -hmm. you, you work hard enough, and you can figure stuff out. And Rodon's figured a few things out. Um, mechanically figuring out that four-seam fastball, which is, of course, all the rage to throw it high and have that carry and have more miles per hour in the tank later in a game when he needs it. Felt kind of CC Sabathia-esque to me in that way. CC always had a little more in the tank when he needed it. But also just Rodon 
gambling on himself, coming back for $3 million and saying, no, I, I want to do it. This should be a good year. I want to be part of the goodness here. And I think I can still do it. And he's open-minded working with the velocity belt with Ethan Katz. I love the story of how in a spring training um, throwing session, he threw a curveball, and Katz said, what was that? But what was that? And Rodon said, yeah, it's a curve. I've never thrown it in the game. And Katz said, throw it a couple more times. And he threw it a couple more times. He's like, you can control that, huh? And Rodon said, yeah. He said, okay, we're going to add that in. Not at a high percentage, just at a low percentage. It's another non-slider. That's all he looked at it as. It's something that you can throw a couple of times, mess with their eye level, mess with their timing, and save your sliders for when you need them. And if you look at the numbers, I think he's throwing a curve at like 5 or 6%. That's brand new. It's thoughtful. It's, it's, it's uh, open-minded. And so when a guy does that, and also Rodon has such energy and anger in a good way that has never manifested as a problem for him. Never. So it fuels him. And I dig it. So uh, I enjoy him a lot. So wonderful story to watch. I love when guys pitch pissed off. And that's what Carlos Rodon does. He, yes. it's, it's a controlled pissed off. And it's beautiful. Yes. Um, the White Sox have a couple of taste breakers. And Rodon is certainly one of them. Um, the type of guy that uh, is just a pleasure to watch. Nick Madrigal is the antithesis of what the modern baseball huh. player is. And I freaking love watching Nick Madrigal play <laughs> It's so fun. It, Nick and Tim Anderson in the middle of that infield, Johan Moncada, obviously he was dealing with the impact of COVID-19 in 2020, but, um, you know, struggling a little bit this year. Like there are so many exciting pieces. Who, who gets you most excited when you turn on a Sox game and see that A-team lineup? Um, well, look, if Luis Robert is running, then I'm gawking. I mean, there's something – there were so many fun comps for him when we all got a look at him for the first time last year. And Jason Bonetti said Terrell Owens. And I love Terrell that Owens. because you don't think of that kind of athlete, but that's what it feels like you're watching is a special, graceful, fast, large, explosive athlete. Um, and, and he's improving. He's improving some hard contact. He's still swinging like crazy. He's always going to be a swinger. Uh, but he's, he's still he's improving some hard contact, improving some contact in the zone. So that's good to see. Um, Tim Anderson, talk about a guy who's gotten better and better and a guy who's gotten more and more comfortable with himself and is the heart and soul of that team. I mean, they've got a lot of great stories. I mean, your mean Mercedes with that two strike approach with the flat foot and what, 2,400 plate appearances in the minors and independent league ball before he gets his shot. It's outrageous. There are good stories all over that team. We live the Giolito transformation. Um, there's a ton of good stories. So, uh, I mean, Abreu's progression as an offensive player and his willingness to be here and, uh, you know, and, and the emotions that he brings to it. And Eloy Jimenez is, is as fun as any of them and isn't anywhere to be seen. So they're, they're loaded with, with stories. Uh, I, I, I like Madrigal. I think there's a place for him in a modern lineup when you've got enough guys who are not like him, then I certainly like him in the modern lineup, but the non-hitting baseball stuff, field your position, man. Yeah. Um, run, run the bases smart. You can't be this kind of hitter and also be the guy that makes a mistake on the base paths or makes a mistake in the field. You got to be super tight with that stuff. And we were sold that. And that stuff is not as on point um, as, as it should be for a guy like him. 
it's crazy because you just mentioned like five or six potential all-stars on that team. And one player that you didn't mention was Michael Kopech, who I think is one of the most exciting young pitchers topping out at a hundred, 101 miles an hour. Um, And he's striking out hitters at an absolutely absurd 46.6%. He's striking out almost one out of every two hitters. Do you see him as slotting in behind Giolito um, to really take hold of that rotation? Or do you maybe put him in the bullpen and make him a super reliever? I think yeah. there are so many different ways you can move Kopech. What are you seeing from him? Um, I, I, I think Kopech, Kopech is showing an ability to do both. And that's awesome. When you yeah. find it in a guy. And what's amazing is that Kopech has been so open about mental health issues and you know, it's unrelated in this way, like, like messing with his role, it does not appear to affect him at all. So good. Not at all. That, that is some, that is some, some mental strength. We've seen guys be messed with in that way. So I would keep Kopech in the pen as long as I can survive it and use him for two, three innings. Every time I use him, think of him as a piggyback. Uh, on the back of Keuchel, if you want, and obviously stylistically, that's that's a dream. Or on the back of Dylan Cease, you don't really trust to get through five. But I'd let Dylan Cease keep working and try to figure it out because you need to keep Kopech on an innings limit anyway. So by the time you get to September and October, if you want to slot him into the rotation, then you can. Or if you want to have him as a super reliever, then you can. Think of Nate Eovaldi when the Red Sox won the World Series a couple of years ago. I mean, they used everybody on their side day, but Eovaldi was the best of the bunch. They used Porcello like that. They used Sale like that. But Eovaldi would come out with this incredible stuff and blow people away for three, four innings. I think in the extra inning game, he went five or six, yep. right? So if Kopech is that guy or if Kopech is like uh, – um julio urias for the dodgers last year in the playoff run and then he's in your rotation next year that's great and in this instance larusa has something very specific he can hold on to and he's already referenced it a couple times and that's adam wainwright in 2006 wainwright was a reliever for all of 2006 and was the key to the bullpen for the cardinals winning that world series so look tony has some experience in there that can be very very helpful he, he does He's well, and the good news is Tony's headspace up. hasn't changed since 2006. Yeah, right. <laughs> he's he's right. in the same exact spot. Before uh, my final question, just want to shameless plug a, a thing we were doing at the early parts of the COVID-19 pandemic. And that was yeah. uh, you, me, Jason Benetti did good comp, bad comp. And uh, the Luis Robert Terrell Owens kind of got my brain working with that. So go check that out on YouTube if you want. Go down yeah. that rabbit hole. You know, we 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 gotta we gotta do it some more. Good comp, bad comp, where we comp all players to absolutely anything. I think Bartolo Colon uh, was comped by Jason Benetti to the McDonald's Shamrock Shake, and he explained <laughs> it beautifully. It made all the sense in the world by the time we got to the end. So. Yep, and you comped uh, Bartolo to Pablo Picasso. I I'm not necessarily going to ask about. Uh, the trajectory of the team into the postseason. I am going to throw you a hypothetical before we go. If the playoffs started right now, yeah. who's your four-man rotation for the White Sox? Uh, assuming health, Giolito, Lance Lynn, too, because I want to use him as often as possible. Yes. Um, I, I, I'm good with the playoff medal of Dallas Keuchel. I, I am, and, and I, I, I trust that. And I trust him. It feels John Lester-esque to me. And, and, I, and I'm okay with that because he plays off the anxiety of hitters. So I'd have, I'd have Keiko three. Um, and then it's either Rodon or Kopech, depending on 
where the, I mean, I guess if it's right now, it's Rodon. And then Kopech is my, is my piggyback available for, for Keuchel and or Rodon. And I'd feel great about that. So that's where I'd be. All right, saving it until the buzzer. Uh, Matt Spiegel, it has been great as your nephew to listen to you call Cubs baseball and uh, listen to you back again uh, in drive time on one of the best radio stations in America. And I, uh, I look forward to that and also the family stuff too. Say hi to Ruben, who's doing online <laughs> school as we record this. Yes, he is. He's, he's in the other room and I'm not interested in baseball still. I keep trying, man. That's I fine. keep trying. But the other day he said to me, Daddy, I think I want to play tennis. So, you know, so when you guys get a tennis podcast, you know, let me know. I'll get back on. I'll have my people contact your people. Perfect. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Jack. Thanks so much, Matt. You got it. Thank you so much. And there we go. There's that conversation. It was really nice to have my thoughts backed up on the Tony LaRusso ordeal. And also just kind of what I was thinking about who the Cubs were going to extend. Like, it feels like a game of Tetris right now, although there aren't many options. I actually, and he he made a good point as well. When I asked about the Cubs, whether they're thinking about rebuilding, we were both talking about it even earlier, what they're going to do with Baez, what they're going to do with Bryant, what they're going to do with Rizzo. And he kind of thought, hey, let's pump the brakes on blowing up the entire team. And let's see if these guys can actually perform and let's see if we can win. So it it was interesting to see because we've heard a lot of Cubs fans being like, you know, especially on the TikTok, just blow it up. We hate this team. And it was good to see an actual positive. But then there was some negative in there as well. There was some negative, too. I I'm worried that it's going to turn into an Orioles Manny Machado situation where Mm -hmm. you just run out of time. It's a good point. And you get nothing. You, you get zero return for a guy that is deserving of return. And if they are in the window and if they don't say adios to Craig Kimbrell and Kimbrell goes to a contender for some great prospect pieces, like he mentioned, the reverse of that Araldis Chapman for Glaber oh, yeah. Torres deal, like the Cubs could really use that, especially with a lot of these guys kind of ending their time contractually and then also in the midst of their prime in Chicago. But this was great. Uh, We stick to baseball. We're recording on a Thursday afternoon. We're recording on at 6.50 on Thursday the 29th. By the time this comes out, the first round of the NFL draft will have concluded. So we've got no idea what's going to happen. But oh my God, Pete, how cool was it when the Bears traded up to eight and grabbed Justin Fields, who was sliding? Is that going to happen? Do you think that's going to happen? No. No. Is Aaron Rodgers on another team? You know what? Yes. Is Aaron Rodgers going to be on another team? We, we, Of course, we hear a couple hours before the draft, Aaron Rodgers is just like, you know what? I'm out of here. Maybe the worst decision the Packers ever made was drafting Jordan Love. I mean, you got your all-star, all-star, look, I'm talking baseball. You got your Pro Bowl MVP level quarterback. Not and MVP dra- level, MVP MVP, MVP. You draft his replacement in the first round, a big FU, and then you don't even go out and get him any wide receivers, any weapons at all. I mean, if I were Aaron Rodgers, I would on, I would want out too. It just stinks switching pages to another team, the Jets. Whoever they draft is probably going to be a bust. It stinks for them. Whether they draft Mac Jones, whether Justin Fields, Trey Lance, 
Uh, Zach Wilson, who they're probably going to get all of them, no matter who goes there, might bust. I was going to say, you're such a baseball guy, like through (laughs) and through. If you had no idea who the Jets were going to take it to, like you haven't been on football Twitter whatsoever. My problem with Zach Wilson is he looks 10 years old, but uh, that's that. Uh, Before we go, I just want to say I love the idea that's floating around that Rodgers might just put football away and host Jeopardy. Like, no, I'm not real. I'm not saying that as a Bears fan. I love when athletes have a passion outside of the sport they play because it just makes them more well-rounded. And I've always thought as a major league pitcher, you've got so much time in the day. What are you doing? You're playing long toss. You're going through a throwing program. Like that's two hours. If you're not starting, what the hell are you doing to fill the other 16 that you're awake for? And it's funny because a lot of guys, like they'll say, oh, I just watch like game film, which is great. You know, you love your guys studying, but a lot of guys just are like, oh, I just play video games. Like, I just play Call of Duty. And it's like, oh, that's not that interesting. Like, you're not that interesting of a guy. You might be a good pitcher. I mean, say what you want about Call of Duty. I mean, Call of Duty's fun. But if that's your off time and then you just play baseball, like, you're not going to be that well-rounded of a guy. All right. Uh, Those are our thoughts. Uh, Those are just (laughs) random thoughts at the end of the episode. Do you think anyone's still tuning in at this point? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, Quick uh, series to highlight before we go. Brewers-Dodgers at Miller Park. Corbin Burns on the IL, but Freddie Peralta, our guy, and our Brandon dude. Woodruff facing the Dodgers. I I tweeted today on my Twitter, at PeterApple23, shameless pug. That loss to the Brewers of Corbin Burns is maybe the nail in the coffin a little bit for the Brewers, and I'll tell you why. Their offense is terrible. He is by far, I think right now, one of the best pitchers in baseball. And losing a guy like that as soon as, as you're starting to build momentum, that can just be a huge crush to the team. I'm, 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 we might start betting against the Brewers a little bit. I think that does more than just Corbin Burns is out. I think that does a number to the team. We'll see. Other swing of the pendulum, Christian Yelich and Lorenzo Cain both hit in the sim game they had today on the field. So... That's that. You know, get the offense back and you lose your new ace. Exactly. That'll be tough, but we'll see. All right. He's Peter. I'm Jack. Another episode. Happy weekending, everybody. And we'll talk to you on Tuesday. Thank you, everybody.